Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, bringing to you biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Well, I have a treat for you this week. I'm going to bring to you an interview that my daughter, Hannah Miller, conducted with my lovely bride, Miss Carlotta, regarding a book that she read recently that had a significant impact on her thinking. The title of the book is The Invincible Family. The entire time she was reading the book, she was constantly prodding me and saying, listen to this, Robert, listen to this. And I have to say, the insights and the teaching in the book were, well, I just have to say that it had a big impact on me as well. It made me think deeply about the family and the role of family in our culture and in society. So I'm going to bring to you this week and next the interview that my daughter Hannah Miller conducted with my wife, Miss Carlotta, regarding the book that she read, The Invincible Family. Well, the title of the book is called The Invincible Family, and the author is Kimberly Ells. It's not a faith-based book, but some would say it's a fact-based book and just plain common sense. And I kind of like the fact that it's not faith-based because it maybe will appeal to people who are not Christians, they don't have any kind of faith. And she often makes statements like this in her book, if there is a God or if there is an evolutionary universe, the result has been the same. If you Google the author, Kimberly Ells, and the organization Family Watch International, for whom she is a policy advisor, you will find that she and the co-founder of Family Watch are Mormon. We would not agree on doctrinal statements, but I didn't read... I don't know that I would disagree with anything that I read in the book. She has represented Family Watch as a speaker at the United Nations, and she's worked to prevent early sexualization of children and to promote the family as the fundamental unit of society. And, of course, I don't think I have to tell too many of y'all that I believe in the family. Of course, we are the parents of nine children. And I I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, at the time of a sexual revolution and a wave of feminism. And I remember thinking that, I don't remember thinking too much about being a mom. I wanted to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. But in my heart, I knew that I wanted to be married and have children. My father was a pastor, and my pastor dad used to say this a lot. But I don't think I hear it very much anymore except outside of my home. And maybe it's a message that's hinted at a sermon occasionally on Mother's Day. But it is the title of a poem that was written in 1865 by William Wallace under the title. It was originally written under the title of What Rules the World. And now it is entitled The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. And so this book really is about the mom and about women and our role in the world today. And, you know, I don't, even in the 60s and the 70s, I don't remember 
thinking, oh, I wanted to be just like a man. I wanted to do the things that men do. I think as a Christian early on in my life that I was appreciative of the person that God made me to be. And I think that we are missing that element in our culture today, a gratefulness for who God has made us and realizing that we are who we are. Well, I think that's very of, evident with the transgender movement that's happened. And I don't know if we're going to get into that, if you're going to talk it's about a, some of that. It's in but. the book a little bit, or re- mm-hmm. actually a good bit towards the end of the book. And and the whole time this transgender stuff has been happening in our con- country, I have thought there's a lack of gratefulness and a lack of, of course, Christian faith that recognizes that we are the people that God made us to be, and He created us male and female. So I heard about the book in the New American Magazine. I saw it, and I ordered it. I wanted to make some comments about the family and my own beliefs. We as Christians must need to be reminded that God created marriage and the family in Genesis 1 and 2. And our physical bodies present evidence of how the union between a man and woman occurs in order to procreate. It's just plain common sense. And all is good with the man and woman fulfilling their different but equally important roles in their union until Genesis chapter 3 when Satan tempted Adam and Eve. And we've been under the curse ever since. Part of that curse was and still is the struggle between man and woman where the woman wants to rule over her husband and where... The husband wants to dominate. Our struggle as Christians is for the man to love his wife as Christ loved the church, which I think of as being one of gentleness and considerate leadership and a life-giving sacrificial service. And for the wife to gladly, and I'm going to use the word. The dirty word. (laughs) Yep, the dirty word. Submit to her husband's leadership and come alongside him in life's journey as a helpmate. It's obvious to me that Satan continues to try to destroy the family. We as Christians need to recognize this and be about evangelism and discipleship. Before we go further, can you define the the family for the purposes of this podcast? Yes. For our listeners. So when I talk about the family in this podcast, I am talking about a male and a female united in marriage and their children. It is sad that I even have to clarify what I mean by family, but words have new meanings these days. I mean, I thought about the word mouse. I remember when I first learned in the computer world that a mouse was something other than a rodent. I said, what is a mouse? (laughs) Um, But you said this was not a faith-based book. So Miss L's and that's E-L-L-S for yes. our listeners. I meant to say that earlier. Yep. E-L-L-S. Uh, she did not talk about Satan as the enemy of the family. Who or what does she describe as destructive forces against the family? Well, first of all, I want the listeners to know that I do quote her a lot. Um, I'm going to quote her a lot during this podcast. So a lot of what I say won't be my own words. Mm-hmm. I want to I have written down some things here that I want to be sure that I make clear and and she, I can't explain it any better than her so I'm going to let her do it. Mm-hmm. But according to Miss Ells, these forces which I believe Satan is using mm-hmm. include socialists who believe the family inhibits the progressive state, radical feminists who believe the family pre- prevents a woman's independence and equality and sexual radicalism which promotes LBG T, Q, A, B, C, D, E, all of which hope to unseat the woman and her family in the name of equality. These forces are represented all the way to the United Nations and are working to destroy the sanctity 
of the family worldwide. So the book is divided into five parts. And so just to kind of keep things organized, uh, let's talk about part one. Let's just start there. And um, let's talk about part one, the woman and the man. Yeah, I think she does do some overlapping in her parts, but it is divided into five parts. So she begins this section by discussion of belonging. To whom do children belong? As a Christian, I believe I belong to God. But let's set aside that important truth for the moment. Miss Ailes is the mother of five, and I'm the mother of nine children. When I delivered my children, an umbilical cord still connected each child to me, and no one in the delivery room questioned for a moment that each child belonged to me, and I belonged to each child. Even after the cord was cut and I held a child against my chest, our connection was inseverable. This is how it always happens. No one is born without being tethered to a specific person, and that specific person is always a... A woman. (laughs) Yes. This relationship has been recognized for all of time, and taking a mother's baby from her is a crime. Since men do not have umbilical cords, physically connecting them to their children at birth, marriage has historically been the mechanism by which fathers claim their children... Now, today, there's a genetic testing, of course, to determine who the father is, but that's only a recent phenomenon. Biological connections cannot be dissolved. They can't be signed away. They they can be signed away, but they cannot be undone. These connections can be signed away is what I meant, but they cannot be undone. Mm -hmm. Now, this doesn't mean that I own my children. They're not my property and that I can sell or buy children, but they do belong to me and their father, to help them grow into responsible adults. For me, I want them also to be followers of Christ. And then ultimately, they belong to themselves, and of course, hopefully to the Lord. This belonging remains key to the ordering, functioning society, and any alteration or challenge to this anatomical sovereignty of mothers and fathers will be politically, economically, and socially catastrophic. Okay, I'm tracking right with you. I understand this. It makes a lot of sense to me. You kind of threw out the word common sense right in the beginning when we started talking about this. Yep. Yeah. All that seems to be very much common sense to yep. me. So what is the problem and the point of this part one that she gets into? Well, this belonging, the belonging of the child to the mother and the mother to the child is an idea that, of course, is being challenged mm-hmm. and has been subtly challenged for decades. And that, I think that's why I want people to read the book, because I want them to be aware that these challenges have been subtle and they have brought us to where we are now in the transgender LGBTQ thinking. So I'll ask you this question. Who wants the minds and hearts of our children? Are you talking about the good or the bad? The bad. The bad. Okay. I was say, ultimately, it's, it, the Lord wants the mind and hearts of our children. But when you're talking about the other end, it would be uh, Lucifer. <laughs> Satan, I believe, wants the mind of our children. And, but he uses various means in the world today uh, with which to capture their minds. I yes. The, and they do want our children, the governments. Mm-hmm. The world wants our children. Satan wants our children. And I'm going to turn in her book and just read some quotes to our audience. Aristotle, who was um, a philosopher before Christ, 
All who have meditated on the art of governing mankind are convinced that the fate of empires depends on the education of youth. Mao Zedong, the first leader of communist China, said the young people are the most vital force in society. Confucius, if your plan is for one year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, plant trees. If your plan is for 100 years, educate children. Mm. Sir Herbert Reed, an English art historian and philosopher, said, Great changes in the destiny of mankind can be affected only in the minds of little children. And then Vladimir Lenin, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. And then Adolf Hitler. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. And this is a quote, I I don't remember who said it. Nurturing the young in their very first life lessons is the goal of every savvy social reformer, politician, activist, and revolutionary. I think that's Miss L's quote. Therefore, what must these savvy social reformers, politicians, and activists, revolutionaries do? They must unseat the mother. Throughout the ages, mothers have in large part remained the first possessors of the young, and we have gained and maintained the allegiance of our young. You still love me, don't you? I do. I do, and it, I think uh, in all, uh, my other readings and experience with culture, I I see that that no matter it, it is very difficult for uh, that to be severed, no matter the sins of the mother. Sometimes, sometimes you're just baffled by a child who is a grown adult who's been hurt over and over by a parent, but specifically a mother, who, but will return to them over and over again, desperate for that connection and that, and it's heart wrenching and it's heartbreaking. And, uh, yes, uh, this is, I actually mentioned this a little bit on my podcast last week in talking about homeschooling and why I felt, I thought that the government was going to come after homeschooling was for this very reason, because more and more parents are taking back their children and the government does not like it. (laughs) Well, I do think, and I know that that's a whole different bent here, but yes, I think that the last couple of years have taught us a few things and have opened some eyes. And I'm praying that parents have realized what is happening Mm -hmm. and subtle education that has been taking place. But who taught your children their first life lessons? Who taught my children their first life lessons? You did. (laughs) That's right. You, the mom. We Whether teach, you homeschool or not, yes. you know, you're talking about who who held their little hands and helped them walk. That's right. You know who who held them in their in 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 their lap and, and helped them learn to hold their head. That's right. Those very first things is is the mother. That's right. We teach our children their first life lessons. You and I, moms. So Hitler could have said, "She alone who owns the youth gains the future. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world." And another quote, and this is why a global army is hunting the woman, eager to strip her of the precious living cargo she carries. And again, what put us in this role? Our bodies. 
as designed by God. Our bodies gave us the young. They literally land in our laps, don't they? (laughs) The woman does not have to conquer anyone. We don't have to launch any initiatives. We don't have to raise anyone's taxes, implement any programs, or start a revolution revolution to commandeer the young. They already belong to the woman, the mother. Mm -hmm. And despite the socialists, the rulers and governments, and the radical feminists, we remain stubbornly in their way. Mothers keep thinking their babies belong to them and keep teaching them whatever they want. And this belonging, this possessorship fosters in me responsibility, action, and stewardship. It helped me grow up Mm -hmm. when I became a mom. And it is, and Vody Balcom, that's why I love a statement that Vody Balcom says he believes in early marriage, early parenthood, because it helps us grow up and become responsible yeah. adults. I mean, as a counselor, I see that all the time. You know, the world uh, says, don't, you know, go travel, enjoy, don't get married, don't get, don't have children, don't do those things young. And, and, and I get it, but at sure. the same time, I see some people who they do get married, they do get married and they have children young and it just does so much to grow them as young people. And, uh, you really learn to die to self and to die to that sin nature. A lot of your sin is exposed. And yet, when you hear somebody marrying so young, does it strike you as being a negative? And, In some ways, do you think that the world sees that oh, yeah. as being a negative? Oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. They discourage it. They discourage the the getting married young. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and get married at 16. No. Um, but, you know, even even now, younger than 30, People are starting to frown on it, and you know it's just astounding to me because I think it is one of the things that the God, that the Lord uses the most in our lives to make us more like Him and to make us more like Jesus. Marriage and having children. Anyway, that's been very true in my life. It's been true in my life. Nine little sharp edges rubbing up against me have, I think, has have refined me a little bit. A German novelist by the name of Jean Paul or Jean Paul, observed, the conscience of children is formed by the influences that surround them. Their notions of good and evil are the result of the moral atmosphere they breathe. For new human beings, this atmosphere has historically been supplied by their families and principally by their mothers. A mother powerfully impresses on her child what is right and wrong, what is true and untrue, what is noble and detestable, and thus establishes the foundational beliefs of societies, nations, and the world, one child at a time. We are entrusted with virtually unlimited power. And, you know, I think that's what struck me about the book. I don't think I realized what power was in my hand. Yeah, I'm getting inspired. I know. Just <laughs> I'm just like, yes, yes, <laughs> I am mother, hear me roar. I, I know. <laughs> exactly. And I don't think women realize what right. is in their hands. Well, the world has twisted it. You know, yes. we look at motherhood and, oh, she's just, a, I'm just a mom. Yes. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a, you know, and that's the language that we use about it. But this hearing, you know, you just even talking about it, I, like I said, I, I feel the stirrings in my bosom of, of the the challenge, the inspiration, the motivation to be better than I am. I because think of that's the power what that I, I felt hold. when I read first read the book. I thought, wow, I don't even think I realized what power was in my hands. I just wanted to raise my children to love the Lord and and have the privilege of homeschooling them. But I don't think I realized that I had power. Mm-hmm. And my children were very helpless in my hands. Yeah. And remarkably, most women wield this power nobly 
and frequently at great sacrifice to ourselves. I mean, I wasn't a member of a garden club, and I didn't go play tennis. I homeschooled my kids for 30 years. Mm -hmm. There are horrible mothers, but they are the exception and not the rule. The vast majority, imperfect as we are, love our children, and we do our best to raise them, and we would give up anything for them. There's a reason that mother's love is universally recognized as the gold standard of devotion. There was something that recently uh, went viral on the Internet, and it was, you know, this video of there was a question asked, and anyway, that the comments were just flooded, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of women, you know, basically going to battle for their kids and indicating their willingness to. Yes. And you saw women from across the religious, political, cultural, social, national spectrum watching this video disregarding what it said and, and just shaking their heads and going, this is insanity, and, and saying, you know, I, I will fight for my kids. Well, I think we've seen that more as men have been playing in women's sports, dressed mm -hmm. as women, as men have been allowed into women's bathrooms. And by the way, did you see where in Loudoun, Virginia, that entire school yeah, board school. is gone? Oh, really? The, well, original. the last I'd seen was uh, the, a bunch of the students had a huge walkout and uh, over their bathroom policy. They either didn't run policy. for office or they were defeated. Mm -hmm. Wow. Good for them. I Loudoun. think it, yes. That was, mm -hmm. the, that was where the young lady was... No, I think I'm mixing my, up my stories. Mm -hmm. There was a, there was some things that happened though in that school. It was bathroom policies, locker room policies, and safety. The safety of the female students was totally disregarded. Yes. I believe that's where the Daily Wire employee went down and did a big big expose in Loudon, and it was a. Uh, that's where all of that happened, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so yes, and and that whole thing is now that was it. It was exposed, and as you just said. Uh, the school board was ousted in one way or another. Yeah. As the author of the book said several times, we've been put into this position of influence by virtue of our anatomy. And think about this. Even all men are carried inside of women, born of women, nursed by women, taught first by women, and it is to a woman that a man must return to exercise the power of procreation. The natural, and I would say God-given sovereignty of women is significant. So, Ailes asked this question, and this is significant. If the motherhood of women over the population of the world is both supremely influential and virtually indestructible, how do you get rid of it? How do we get rid of motherhood? How do we get rid of this power? The woman must be unseated. She must be removed from the seat that she holds. And how is that? By either throwing her out of her seat or getting her to step down voluntarily. Now, we don't use that term, unseat the woman. It wouldn't be very popular, would we? Would it? We use words like, we're going to free the woman mm -hmm. or we're going to empower the woman. And we see that about every other day on Facebook, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yes, very true. You know, the... Uh Getting out in the workplace, becoming a girl boss, doing all these things is what we connotate with empowerment, um, and and that's what frees us from the chains of child, you know, child rearing and homemaking. That reminds me. I actually wanted to start this by saying that I'm, or did I? I said something about it, but I am so thankful God made me a woman. I enjoyed 
being a mom and still enjoy being a mom and a grandmother and thankful for. Uh, there have been times when I've, of course, read about what feminists want to do, and I say, hey, 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 don't rain on my parade. <laughs> yeah. I got it good over here. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm this- enjoying this stay-at-home wife life. That's <laughs> yes. what I say. I'm like, y'all don't look like, don't be ruining it for me. I don't want to be going to a nine-to-five. I really wish Dolly had sung ten-to-three, let's be honest. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, but yes, I, I love being a homemaker and raising my children and, you know, all these women out there always talking about, um, you know, trying to work for some uh, some some other man usually uh, and out in an office atmosphere and i'm like no you know i actually enjoy my slow mornings enjoying my cup of coffee or hot chocolate or whatever but uh anyway so yes i'm right there with you so what what are the tactics to unseat the woman so these tactics are found in part two and three of l's book Well, that concludes part one of The Invincible Family with my lovely bride, Miss Carlotta, and my equally lovely daughter, Miss Hannah Miller. Part two will be presented next week. I also want to remind you of our bookstore, which you can find at jacksonfamilyministry.com. I realize this is Christmas time, and many of you are trying to decide about Christmas presents. And I would like to suggest that you consider some of the four books that we have published. My pro-life book, my book on evangelism, my book on turkey hunting, turkey tales and Bible truths, and my latest publication, which is a biography about my father on laughter silvered wings. I think you will find all of these interesting opportunities for Christmas presents. If you order these, we will be glad to mail them to you. Thank you very kindly, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.